listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. This morning, let me invite you to turn where we were just a few moments ago to Romans 2. We will be exploring uh, the rest of this chapter uh, this morning. Many of you know, a number of weeks ago, we started a series in Romans And it is our practice to uh, strive every Sunday to hear from God's Word and to understand what it says so that we can live our lives as He has called us to live. Trust your holiday season has gone well. Uh, Tell you what, I am so thankful for the gathering of God's people because uh, it is so easy for us to go out into the to life and to see the brokenness of this world. Uh, Of course, the curse is in uh, effect. It started with Adam and Eve, and you and I live in a world where death reigns, where sin is rampant, and we so often can get caught in the discouragement, the depression, the anxiety of this life. But one of the ways that God has called us to uh, recalibrate our lives and to remind ourselves of... uh, The hope that we have is the gathering of God's people each Lord's Day. And I trust today that it will be once again, in many ways, your uh, North Pole, that you will will focus and it'll set your compass to, okay, this is what life is about, and it'll give you direction and that you will move forward in your spiritual life. Today, Romans 2, we will look there in just a moment. Getting into elite colleges, grad schools, medical schools can be an incredibly difficult task. For those of you who have tried, uh, you know uh, the trying experience it can be. Rules are stringent, requirements enormous, and as we know, only a few get in. Sadly, sometimes when it comes to trying to get into these schools, people try to cheat the system. One such scheme came to light in March of 2019. It was called the Varsity Blues Scandal. That's what they kind of named it. Some of you didn't know that. Certain rich and privileged parents sought to bypass the system by bribing admissions officials to get their children and to school, sometimes going as far as photoshopping their kids' pictures onto elite athletes' heads <laughs> so that they could get into the system. In fact, numbers of them got into uh, the University of Southern California. Thankfully, they got caught. But all of us know, no doubt, this happens all the time. We live in a world where uh, justice or injustice abounds. But then the question goes, what about heaven? What about entrance into heaven? Let me just say, there's nothing more elite than that. You may desire a a great Ivy League school, but let me tell you, all of you want to get into heaven. All of you want to be with God. Well, the question goes, can the religiously privileged people bypass the judge or the system 
and simply get in. In our text this morning in Romans chapter 2, God warns those of that day, the privileged Jews, and basically tells them this, you're not going to be able to bypass the system. It won't work. Everyone is going to be judged righteously. You will not sneak your way in. Paul then gives us a preview of, in fact, those who will receive the honor, not from a school, but those who will receive honor from God, those who will actually get in. So let's investigate what this text has to say. Will you join me as we pray? Father, Lord, you know this is an extended text, and it has a lot of confusing things to us. And so I ask that your spirit today would do the work that I cannot do. I ask that your spirit would awaken minds so that they would not be distracted by a shopping list or a lunch appointment or by any other various seeming important thing that could draw their attention away from your word. But Father, I ask that you would calm our hearts, direct our minds, and allow us today to be illuminated by your spirit into what this text has to say And Father, would you change us as a result of it? Will you not revive us again, Father, that your people may rejoice in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come here to the second part of Romans chapter 2, how did we get here? Of course, I do this probably a lot of the weeks we're here. Got to review. Okay. So this book, okay, this letter... Paul is writing and sharing the gospel to a young church that had been started in Rome. He identifies himself initially in chapter 1 by being a man who was a recipient of the gospel. And of course he identifies them as people who uh, you could say uh, externally have embraced the gospel. And of course, he goes into and shows how this message of the gospel that he is writing about is the very power of God on how a person can be saved and have entrance into heaven and spend eternity with God. And he begins by showing us the incredible problem that all of us face, and that's this, that God's wrath is on all mankind, not just the Gentile sinners, you could say. God's wrath is also on the Jewish privileged ones. It's on all of us. And as we are building up to, in Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, no doubt as he's writing this letter, there is a diverse group of people in this assembly. Okay, And in our text... Evidently, there were some privileged Jewish religious ones who thought they may have had a pass to get into heaven. Since they had what we would call the Mosaic Law, and since they had the physical sign of circumcision, they 
appeared to them that they got in. They had God. They had everything that they needed. Let me say, as we come into this text today, many years later, very different situation. Did you know that many people think that since they have gone to church, that they have the marks of Christianity, maybe it's baptism, they do certain tasks. Sometimes it's the sacraments. I've done all of these things. That's going to get me in. Let me tell you, do not presume on God. You have got to do it God's way. And he has a way. And Romans 2 shows us how God is a flawless judge and who in the end will receive praise from God. Because that's what you want. You don't want to dishonor God. You want to receive praise from him in the end. And at the end of chapter 2, it tells us of somebody who does not get praise from man, but he actually gets praise from God. So today, we are just going to explore five simple truths, and the first is this. Every sinner will be judged. Of course, we've established up to this point. Paul has, in the first 11 verses of Romans 2, he's shown that Jews, okay, when I say these, I just want to make sure you understand this, Jews, ethnic Jews, Gentiles, that term Gentile is pretty much all the rest of us, those who are not Jewish of descent. All Jews, all Gentiles are all under God's wrath. And ultimately, what's going to happen is this. Your works, your lives are going to lay evidence to the fact of truly what you believe and depend on. Your lives are going to show that. But here Paul begins to show how some Jews thought because they had the law they may be given some special privilege. And here, right away, he begins to take out their foundation. Look what it says in verse 12. He says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also, and notice this word, perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, and then it says this, will be what? Judged by the law. Now let me explain, first of all, what is this law? The law refers to what we would call the Mosaic law. Many of you know kind of Israel's history. They were in bondage in Egypt. Jacob uh, took his small family there, and as they were there, of course, it expanded and expanded into a great nation, the nation of Israel. They were persecuted by Egypt, and ultimately God in his providence rescued them. We know that uh, as the Exodus, and after the Exodus occurred, God made a commitment and gave a law to a group of people called the Israelites. And we oftentimes refer to that as the Mosaic Law. It was around 14, I believe, 1446 BC. And that law was there, number one, to protect them from themselves, to display to the world a nation that had been picked by God, and also really to point them and help them to start looking for ultimately what is the fulfillment of the law, the person of Jesus Christ, the one who actually will save them and change their lives. And they were to be a nation that was kind of the nursery for the Messiah to come. The Mosaic law had 613 commands, 
365 positive, so one for every day of the year, except the leap year, okay, and 248 negative commands. But what Paul does here in this first verse is he shows this, that sinners who don't have the law, have not lived under the Mosaic law, those who were not ethnic Jews, they will perish without the law, even though they didn't have the law, they're going to perish without it. And then it says this, those who did have the law, the Jews, would be judged by it. And the idea here is the word perish and the word judge is talking about they're going to be brought into, uh, they're going to be judged by God, every sinner, whether you have it or not. It's almost like this. Imagine an IRS agent showing up at your house and arresting you for tax violations that you made over the last number of years. And at the same time they're arresting you, they go to your neighbor's house and they also arrest him. However, your neighbor, you know, is kind of a tax guy. He knows all the tax code. He's very aware of it. You, however, don't know it all, but you actually, you went against everything. Who's going to be liable? Both of you are. I mean, another way to look at it, imagine there's this piece of property that, of course, you're not supposed to go on. And on one side of the property, there's all these no trespassing signs. But on the other side, of course, there's a fence, but you just, so there's a group of kids that come on from one side who look at the no trespassing sign, jump over it, and still go into the property. And there's the other ones who also jump the fence. They may not have seen the no trespassing sign, but they're still breaking the what? Breaking the law. In the same way, whether you have knowledge of it or not, all of you have broken the law. In fact, we'll see later, as I referred already, all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. And the wages of your sin is you are going to die. So everyone in this room, if the Lord tarries, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Whether you're ignorant of what God commands or whether you uh, know all that he has demanded, everybody in this room will be without excuse. Some had it spelled out, some of them didn't. We are all dying, and after this, the judgment. So, how do you escape? What's the standard? What, how do I, what is it? Well, it's interesting. The first point of my message is that every sinner is going to be judged, whether you have the law or not. But the second point is this. There is a way to be justified. And when I say justified, the word justified means to be declared righteous before God. Look what it says in verse 13. He says this. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified, okay? It's the doers, people who actually do what the law says. Now, here it's easy for us to do this. Now, maybe some of you are just following my reasoning. Does that mean 
that the Jews should get a pass to heaven because didn't they strive to do the law? If simply doing it or like trying to kind of do as much as you can, if simply doing it was the path to heaven, you had to do the law. You know what? All of us have a problem. Why? Because this. Can any of us do all that God's told us to do? All of us are going to what? Fail. For all have come short of God's glory. Here, we have to remember that the intent of the law that God gave to Israel many years before was to show them that they were lawbreakers and ultimately point them to the fulfillment of the law. And who was that fulfillment? It was none other than the person of Jesus Christ. All of the sacrifices, everything in the law was fulfilled in Jesus. Remember Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. I'm not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Not one jot or one tittle shall in any way pass from the law until all be fulfilled. He was the one who fulfilled it. In fact, Paul would say in another place to the Galatians in reference to the law, he would say this, so then the law was our guardian. It was our tutor. Until what? Until Christ came in order that we may be, and there's that word again, justified by what? By faith. The law was to lead people to Christ. And one of the beautiful examples at this time of year was that man Simeon. Remember Simeon? He was a man who loved the law and was, the Bible says, was looking for the consolation of Israel. He saw the law, but he saw the end of it. That Messiah would one day come. And when he saw Jesus' parents show up and bring baby Jesus to him, you remember what he said? Mine eyes have seen thy what? My sal- thy salvation. It's here. What happens, we know, is this. That Christ, what he does, when you actually find the fulfillment of the law, Christ he begins to transform his people to live actually as law-abiding people. Now, that doesn't mean that we are now required to do the Mosaic law. We have, I believe, a new law, the law of Christ. And there were parts of that Mosaic law, of course. I mean, that Jesus very clearly said he declared all foods clean. But the idea here is this. Ultimately, what he's saying here is that a true doer of the law is someone who found the nexus of the law, the center of the law, Jesus, and then actually because he knows God, begins to live live out the law properly. And you remember what he says on two commands, hang all the law and the prophets, what were they? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And a true, someone who will actually be justified is someone who has found the point of the law and then now lives their everyday life with God as the supreme one and seeking to love their neighbor as themselves. 
It's not works-oriented, but faith is the basis and works is the result. Of course, I told you last week that this was the point of Romans chapter 2. Works result from faith. At this point, Paul begins to use the Gentiles as an example. Now notice this, okay? This is kind of an... uh, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelts. This was a hard text. I'm sure when Josh read it, you're like, okay, Pastor Brian's got to explain that today. Okay. Uh, Buckle your seatbelts. What's going on here? I want to explain it to you. Look what he says now in verse 14 and 15. He says this, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse and even excuse them. So what's happening here? Here becomes a a point of interpretation. Okay, Is Paul now, after he just establishes these two truths, is Paul talking about unsaved Gentiles who know of a natural law that they just know in their hearts what not to do and what to do? Or is he now referring to Christian Gentiles who had met Christ and were now living by this new law of Christ? And I'll tell you, commentators disagree here, and they're good ones. Even some, I had a professor, I I took a class from Doug Moo on Romans, and he's got this commentary this big, an incredible guy. I think I'm disagreeing with him here, okay? But then I have other guys who I believe is on on one side of this issue as well. You say, what's going on here? Okay. Is this saying that even though Gentiles who didn't have the Mosaic law, they have a moral law kind of imprinted upon them because of the divine image, kind of like they know that there's a God through nature. Do they know that murder is wrong? And what he's talking about here is this, even the Gentiles who've never come to Christ, they know there's some sort of law that they need to live by. Is that what's being talked about here? Or is Paul talking about Uh, Gentile Christians who now have come to Christ and are living because the law has been written on their hearts through the new covenant. You know what? Both of those interpretations are true. Okay, I do believe that God has written in some ways within our consciences the law. And the other one is true that those who really have come to Christ, he's written the law on our hearts through uh, uh, through the Spirit, So both of them are true, but what's being talked about here, I personally believe, and I think that what's happening here is Paul is discussing Gentiles who are now doing God's will because they have now the law written on their hearts. And you say, why do you believe that that's the case? Because earlier in Romans 2, he's talking about Gentiles who are doing the right thing now. And then at the end of Romans 2, he talks about the Spirit and them doing the will of God and getting praise from God. So I kind of think the whole chapter is connected here. But regardless, the question for you today is this. Are you one 
who will be justified before God on judgment day. Are you someone who actually is doing God's law? And I submit to you, are you someone who's doing, you could say now, the law of Christ? Are you seeking, because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are seeking to live for God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you're seeking to love your neighbor as yourself? Are you following Christ in that way? Ultimately, your lives will declare whether you truly believe what you believe. If you simply are living lawlessly and you are someone who's just doing what you want to do, you may show up here on Sunday, but you live like the devil the rest of the week. And this is just something that you just do to uh, do for your family or because this is just you feel your duty and maybe you think by just attending here, God will let you in. There's a problem here. Judgment will come. You say, what is the basis of judgment? That's my third point. It's this. The answer is Jesus Christ in the gospel. Paul now shows the standard by which everyone will be judged. Look what it says in verse 16. He says this. On that day, when according to my gospel, and of course Paul is referring and uh, he's about to preach the gospel to them. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. And how does he do it? By Jesus Christ. You will be judged according to what you do with the point of the law and what the law led to, and that was Jesus. That's why Jesus would say when he was on this earth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's why it says in Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. You have got to go. And Paul's saying, you are going to be judged, not whether you had the law or not. You will be judged. Your life will be a a dictator of it because you'll be living according to God's law. But the end of it all is basically, it all happens because of Christ and the gospel. Aren't you glad you know What's on the test? When I was in college, I always wanted to know how I could prepare for exam day. And you loved when the professor near exam time says, okay, I'm just going to tell you what's going to be on the test. And they'll just say, okay, this is going to be on it. This is going to be on it. At least you knew how to prepare. It was those that didn't tell you that. I remember one of my church history professors. It was always, I hated them, the big essays. And then you'd walk in and you'd just say, okay, here's your question today. If you were a 13th century monk, why did you decide to go into the monastery? Give me the reasons. And then having listened to all the lectures, you had to put together why and what motivated that monk to go into the monastery. That's a little bit harder than, okay, I'm telling you what's on the test. And the test is this, you are going to be judged by the gospel And you are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. So let me just say, you better understand Paul's gospel. And you better know Jesus Christ. 
because that will make all the difference. And then he ends by giving you two last, you could say, paths. That's point number four here. Beware of the wrong path, and here it is, the privileged one who dishonors God. And this, of course, is illustrated by the Jew. Paul now goes after the Jew who believes that their privileged position is going to give them a pass. Look what he says in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, just so you're aware, the word Jew here forms somewhat what some people call an inclusio, conclusio, because he says the, for the first time Jew in verse 17, and he ends the chapter by talking and pointing out the Jew, and it's almost like, let me talk about this particular person here. And he talks about this Jew who has great privilege. They rely on the law. They've gotten the Mosaic law. In fact, they're part of this privileged group of people who have these 613 laws and they're trying to observe them. They're observing the Sabbath. They're doing this. They're doing the sacrifices. They boast that they are the the nation that has God, Yahweh. Not only that, look what it says in verse 18. And they know his will. In fact, what they're doing is they're approving things that are excellent. They're trying to make a decision between what's good and what's best. And what they're doing is this, I think I know what's best. And they're making those decisions. Not only that, notice their perceived ministry to the world. Look what it says in verse 19. And if you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, and that's what many of the Jews believed that they were. We are the light. We are the ones who are going to show this world where the true God is. And that's what they were supposed to do. That was their function. You are a light to those who are in darkness. True. Verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. All of those statements are exactly right. They had that ministry. They had that responsibility. And what Paul is doing is like, they're probably saying, yes, you're right. That's, that's me. That's me. But now Paul shows how their lifestyle didn't match up with four little questions. Look what he says in verse 21 and 22. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach against stealing, do you what? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And I believe what Paul's doing here is this. If those people were truly honest with themselves, they knew, okay, they knew that they had sin. You remember when Jesus was on this planet and when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount? We talked about this, I think, last week. All the Jews had, oh, you're not supposed to do that act, that act, and that act. But Jesus, what he would do is he would internalize them and intensify them. He says, yeah, you may not kill, but I say if any of you are angry with his brother, you've done it in your heart. And if you may not have committed adultery, but if you've lusted after any other woman and any other man's wife, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And what Paul's doing here is this. He's showing these Jews 
And I believe probably because they did not have the spirit, some of them, they may have had all this facade of being a righteous person. But those of you who are true, who know your own lives, you know that you are broken. You know that you sin. And here he is asking questions, no doubt to stir their consciences. You say, what was this robbing temples? I mean, some of us, there's, there's that question, what was robbing temples that was going on here? Possibly some of these Jews who lived in Rome, and these are, there's numbers of suggestions of what this was, but uh, some people say that maybe they preached, hey, we should not be involved in idolatry, but there was a great market at that point for selling and plundering temples and selling them and marketing them. And maybe what he was saying here is this, those of you who are so stiff-arming idolatry, but you know what? Your whole business is about plundering temples. And he, he ends with this. Look what he says in verse 23. You who boast in the law, and, and here, this is a little alarm system, you dishonor God by breaking the law. They're dishonoring God. Notice later on there's going to be someone who's getting praise from God. There's a difference here. And these are being contrasted. In fact, they were dishonoring God to the point that God's name was being blasphemed in their community. Look what it says in verse 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And some commentators have pointed out that what may have been happening here was this. Many of you know around this time that the Jews, a number of Jews, had been expelled from Rome. Because Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Corinth because all the Jews were commanded to leave Rome. And what some people were saying that could have happened was there was this one famous Roman woman who had, you could say, become a Jew. She had become a proselyte. And some Jews had convinced her to give a large gift to the temple. But as she gave this gift by the hands of these particular Jews, some of them siphoned off some of that gift. And as a result, the whole Jewish religion was like blasphemed, and God's name was blasphemed. So here were a group of people who prided themselves in the Mosaic law, but were breakers of it just like their forefathers. And not only did they have the law, But a second area of pride that they had was this. They had circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant. In fact, all Jewish men on the eighth day were to receive this sign of the covenant. It was a removal, of course, of a portion of their flesh. Paul now goes after them who says, hey, I have this sign of being one of God's own. He's removed my flesh, and my heart is his now. And look what he says in verse 25 through 27. He says, for circumcision indeed is of value if you actually obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes what? Uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And what he's basically saying here is this. It really doesn't matter if you have the sign of being a part of God's people. What matters is that you really have it inwardly. So let me bring that to today for a second. In our day, and to bring some, you could say, application to you, we have many who have grown up in church and they think the signs of being a follower of God may be baptism. Okay, <laughs> can't see the baptismal tank. Sorry about that. Uh, I've been baptized. I go to church. I read my Bible. There's a huge group in our nation who says, I do the sacraments. I do all of these. And what they're relying on is they're relying on, number one, their pedigree, their background. I'm Christian. And so many of them are simply what? Cultural Christians. They're not biblical Christians. Or they're relying on their performance as so many of the Pharisees did of Jesus' day, who did all of these things like tithing their spices, their mint. He says, you have done all of these tithings of things, but you have left out the more weightier parts of the law. And actually, you have missed what the law all intended. And that was to bring you to me. And that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the fulfillment of it all. Is your, and and what happens is those who truly come to what the purpose of the law was and come to Christ, you know what happens? You begin to change internally. Your internal life will change and your external will be a verification of what's happening internally. Those of you who have true faith and repentance, your life will begin to change. I'll tell you, when I finally came to Christ as a, I tell people, I think it was sometime between sixth grade and like my junior year in high school. I don't know when exactly, but it was sometime around then. And I'll tell you, my life changed. If there has never been a change in your life, there, should, there, there could be a problem here. Now, some of you, you may have got saved when you were really young, and it's hard to evaluate that. But do you really have spiritual life? And that's the final thing we'll see. The fifth point is this. Follow the true path. And what we see at the end is this. The spiritual one who receives honor from God. Notice here at the end of our text, Paul points to some Gentiles who don't have circumcision. They don't have the sign of the covenant, but whose inner and outer lives show a proper relationship to God. In fact, look what it says in verse 27. I'll start here. Then he who is physically uncircumcised, but what is he doing? He's keeping the law. He will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but you who break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the what? 
of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise, I love this, his praise is not from man, but from who? But from God. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Chapter 6, he says this. He tells the Jewish people that were listening to him. He says, do not your righteousnesses before men to be seen of them. Don't do your righteousness just to be seen of men. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He says this, don't do that. And then he points out certain Pharisees, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may have glory of men. He says, therefore, they have their reward. Literally, he's saying this, they are receiving their reward in full. They're getting the praise of men. But when you pray, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. You know what? True salvation starts on the inside and it comes out and you can't help it. And what is what initiates and does all of that? I submit to you what it says in the text is this. And he's alluding to this early in the letter, but it's going to come in beautiful fashion when you get to chapter 8. It's this. It happens by the what? By the Spirit. The Spirit does something. God awakens him by the Spirit. Life lived now by the Spirit. They live out the law of Jesus Christ, and it begins to show on the outside. That is what's important. Have you found the point of the law, which is Jesus? Have you chosen to follow him? Live for him. So today, as we close, what are you relying on to get into God's presence? Are you relying on some external pedigree or performance, some privilege that you have, some mark? Hey, I was baptized when I was five. Are you relying on your performance? Or the question is this, have you been born by the Spirit of God? Has the Spirit changed you from the inside out? There's a story, probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, when if you ever ran into a Pharisee of Pharisees when it comes to knowing the law, this was the guy. His name, Nicodemus. And during a festival, a holiday time, like we're celebrating, I believe he was searching And one night he shows up at Jesus' residence. And Jesus already knows what this guy's thinking internally. He already knows the questions, even though he may not be able to express them, because he basically says, hey, Jesus, we know you're a great man, a great teacher, come from God, for no one can do these things except God be with him. But Jesus goes right to his heart. He says this, except a man be born a second time. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus would have done what you and I would have done. How can a man, when he is old, be born? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And then what does Jesus do? He says this, except a man be born of a cleansing of water and of the what? 
of the Spirit. The Spirit has to awaken you. And then he does something that absolutely blows my mind. He tells Nicodemus, he says this, the wind or the Spirit blows where it wants and you can't control it. So is everyone who is born of God. Did you know that the only way that you can become a child of God is that you have to be graced and God's spirit has to awaken you. And then what Nicodemus does is he's like, how can these things be? And I mean, he's just questioning. And Jesus says, are you not the teacher of Israel and don't know these things? And of course, I think he's, he's, he's referring him back to, don't you know how the Bible says that one day there's going to be a new covenant and God's going to write the law in your heart and there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit? How do I know these things? And Jesus looks at him and says, okay, let me make it simple for you. No one has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man, and maybe he did this, maybe he pointed to himself, except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. And basically he's telling Nicodemus, I came down from heaven. And just like Moses raised up a serpent on a pole in the wilderness, and everyone who looked at that serpent, this cursed animal, the snake on, a, on, on this pole that probably looked like a cross, everyone who looked at it lived as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up. And guess what he's telling Nicodemus? One day I'm going to what? I'm going to be lifted up and suspended between heaven and earth and I will be a curse on a pole. And then what does he say to Nicodemus? And whosoever believes in me shall be saved. That's salvation. And that's what Paul is telling these Jews. If you truly are going to be saved, it's going to have to be a spiritual work. But what do you have to do? Jesus told that man that day, believe on me. And I submit to you, I believe he did. Because when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, who helped put him into the tomb? Joseph of Arimathea and a man by the name of who? Nicodemus. Are you someone who's been born of the Spirit? Are you someone who's relying on your pedigree and all your performance? Or are you relying on Christ? Let me say, that's the point of the gospel. Turn to him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.